in my experience of pastoral ministry, there is nothing quite so intensely emotional and heart-touching and often sad and always holy as being with someone at the end of life. The air in the room is somehow different when you know for sure that death is inevitable. I know that's a strange way to say it because, of course, death is inevitable. But what I mean is that in the final movement toward death, at some point, something shifts when there's no longer a struggle, an urge, an effort to stay alive. And the energy of life prepares to flow across a threshold into the beyond, into the eternal realm. It's not always precise or even discernible, but there is a point when the person who is dying moves from the stage, when the body is making a continuing effort, sometimes a labored effort for another breath breath and another, another heartbeat and another, to the stage when it is completely clear that it is just a matter of time. And that's what I mean by saying that the air in the room is somehow different when you know that death is now inevitable, even though inevitable is not exactly the word that I think I'm looking for. I suppose I could use the word imminent instead of inevitable when death is imminent, but imminent isn't quite the right word either. Imminent means about to happen. It's a word with a lot of immediacy and some certainty about that immediacy. And most times death doesn't come with that precision of timing either. In fact, it doesn't usually come right when we expect it. Sometimes, even after we think a person who is dying has crossed over to the very last stage of life, the dying itself might go on for hours with the person giving all the signals that this next breath will be the last, but it isn't. And then maybe those by the bedside will leave the room for a moment to take a phone call or to slip into the bathroom for a moment, and that's when it happens. Other times, death comes early, before the signs are pointing toward the coming moment. You thought you'd have another day, or maybe at least a couple more hours, but you don't. Either way, it almost always surprises. I remember quite a few years ago, there was a stretch where several church members died in a matter of weeks. They were all persons who were in the healthcare wing at Timbercrest under hospice care. And it happened that I was present right at the moment of death for each one of them. It just kind of worked out that way, my timing, but it was kind of spooky. It was almost like every time I showed up, someone died. At the time, Timbercrest had a cat that roamed the halls of healthcare. And the cat seemed to know when someone was about to die and could often be found in the room of someone who was close to death. And during those weeks, I would go in and there would be the cat. Or else I would be there and the cat would show up. It got so I would just shake my head at the cat when we crossed paths. You again, I would ask. 
Anyway, even with experience, even a lot of experience with people coming to the end of life, there's no way that you get used to it. There's no way for it to be routine. At least I don't think so. And maybe that is especially true when you have deep relationship to the person who is dying. The experience is loaded with feelings, with yearning, and with a sense that something is sad and yet sacred. One of the things I have observed and I have felt is how much we feel powerless in those moments, but also how much we want to do something, to do something to care in those moments for the person who is coming to the end of their earthly life. We want to show our care. We want to act on it. We want love to have not just a heart, but hands. So we do what we can. I've been in rooms where the family members sang or read scripture. Music seems to be something beloved, something that feels right. The television usually gets turned off, but it's not uncommon for a musical playlist to be playing. Sometimes people who have gathered around their dying loved one will tell stories, even stories that have laughter and teasing. I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that even after a person can no longer open their eyes or speak, they can still hear. And if that's true, who wouldn't want to be surrounded by family, listening to stories and memories when every other sense, every other ability to interact has already slipped away? Some people communicate their love and care by holding the person's hand or rubbing their shoulders. Note to my own family, if I'm ever in that state, or I should say when my time is coming, if you are gathered at my bedside, this is what I want. Roll me on my side and scratch my back. Just lightly, but up and down and all over, and imagine me saying, oh, that's good, but a little higher. Now a little to the left, right there by my shoulder blade. That's right. Now down a little. That's right. Scratch my back. Or if you can't do that, rub my head. That'd be all right, too. Some people just hold hands. There's something about the connection of holding a hand. Maybe it's so comforting because it reminds us of childhood or maybe of courtship or maybe the special relationship of grandparent and their young grandchild. Holding hands is something that people want to do when death is approaching. Whatever it is, love looks for an avenue of expression. Love wants to take action, to do something, something that says, I care, something that brings comfort, a holy act in a holy space, at a holy time. When Mary anoints Jesus in the scripture story for this morning, she pours a pound of perfume on his feet, pure nard, costly, fragrant, and then wipes his feet with her hair. It seems ridiculously excessive to the others who are around. The house is filled with fragrance, so there's no ignoring it. Her hair, let down, now soaked with perfume, can't be ignored either. Judas points out that all that perfume could have been sold for enough money to equal a year's wages for a laborer. That's money that could have been given to the poor, he points out, even though the gospel writers 
doubt that Judas would have done that. Why does Mary do it? Why does she pour it all out onto Jesus' feet? Is she just impulsive? Is she reckless? Or does she know something that no one else knows? Her motive is unknown. She doesn't speak of it. But Jesus says that Mary bought the perfume so that she, quote, might keep it for the day of my burial. If that's true, then why does she pour it out now? Jesus hasn't even entered into Jerusalem. The final chapter of his life hasn't even begun. I think that Mary does it because she is already standing with Jesus on that threshold between life and death. And she wants to do something that is comforting and confirming in the face of death that is coming. Mary probably gets it because, for one thing, she's already acquainted with death. And she's been in that space with Jesus. You remember the story of Lazarus. There's only one chapter before this. The interactions between Mary and Martha and Jesus are intense after he shows up, after Lazarus has died. The outcome is that Jesus calls Lazarus forth from the tomb and Lazarus comes out resurrected from the dead. And Mary is counted among those who, quote, believed in him. In that experience with Jesus, Mary has her eyes opened, and once they're opened, they can't be closed. And with open eyes, she sees how the religious leaders are now plotting against Jesus and how he can no longer walk around and minister openly and how they're getting ready to arrest him. So when Jesus comes back to their house, the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, because that's where this scene is unfolding, Mary knows she must know that this is her last opportunity. And it may, in fact, be her last moment with Jesus before everything that will propel him toward his death will begin to unfold. If he is the hospice patient, the person whose death is now inevitable, if not imminent, then she is the dear family member who cannot leave his bedside, who needs to hold his hand, who wants to rub lotion on his sore shoulders or whisper stories of remembering and affection in his ear. She alone seems to understand that when someone is coming to the end of life, you don't know how many more minutes, much less hours or days you might have, so you stay close by, reluctant to let go of their hand, even for a minute. Through this season of Lent, We've looked at Jesus as vulnerable seeker, Jesus as mother hen, Jesus as diligent gardener, Jesus as dinner party host, and now Jesus as hospice patient. At this point in the story, he knows he's going to die, and Mary knows he's going to die, and she pours out the perfume, a fragrant testimony in love and care, a fragrant, a fragrant testimony that the last days, the last hours, the last minutes of someone's life are holy. They are holy moments. I am with you in these last moments, she says, and I will keep caring for you as you come to the end. Indeed, in John's gospel, Mary is the one who sees Jesus all the way through. And although some argue that Mary of Bethany, sister of 
Lazarus and Martha is not the same person as Mary Magdalene, I don't agree. Based on the textual evidence across several Gospels, I think she is. So assuming that the Mary in this chapter of John's Gospel is the same as the Mary in later chapters, she does see Jesus all the way through. She anoints him here, then she is counted among the women who stand near the cross when he is crucified, and she is the one who comes to the tomb early on the first day of the week, and finally she is the one who sees him resurrected and announces his resurrection to his disciples. She stays by him all the way to death and even after. She is the one who sits by the bedside of Jesus as hospice patient. She anoints him with perfume and with presence. Now, I also want to say this. Jesus shows us something about how important and how honoring and how comforting such holy presence is. Others want to dismiss the anointing, turn it into something ill-considered, reckless, wasteful. But impending death, Jesus confirms, is worthy, is needful of holy presence. Some people are afraid to be with the dying. What will I do? What will I say? How will I know what is happening? You don't have to say anything. You just have to be. You don't have to understand everything. You just have to be. If you remain present, present and aware of the sacredness of it, Everything else takes care of itself. I remember one dear woman who was coming close to death. Her family rushed to her side. They came from near and far, and when one of her children, when the one of her children who lived farthest away finally arrived, they were all worried he wouldn't get there in time. They all circled in close and sang to her and touched her and waited for her to die. She had been so close, and now they told her, we are here, you can go. And wouldn't you know, she hung around for days and days. I smiled to myself. She finally had them all in one place, so surely she wasn't in a hurry to leave. They sang some more and put up a puzzle table in the room and came and went and told stories and laughed and brought in food to eat. And came and went some more. And when it was finally clear they were all comfortable with each other and relaxed and no longer worried about the moment, she died. They all had a chance to hold her hand. They all had a moment or two alone with her, a chance to whisper some final words. They all told her that they loved her and said their individual and unique goodbyes. They all got to sing in harmony with each other. And in all of that, they anointed her with the the loveliest perfume. They spent it all. Spent it all for the sake of love and comfort, fragrant and holy. In the Gospels, Jesus doesn't just peacefully slip away. It's not like that at all. But since it isn't a peaceful end... So much the more, so much more the need for holy presence, for fragrant love. 
Thanks be to God for people who anoint us with their presence, who walk with us to the end, right up to the threshold of whatever door we have yet to walk through. Thanks be to God for holy comfort. Thanks be to God for those who still live with us, even when they are no longer alive in this world. Thanks be to God for Mary and all who are like her, generous and loving and recklessly so, courageous and present and persistently so. Thanks be to God for Jesus who shows us how to face our own death with an eye and a heart toward what matters most, our shared testimony of love and faithfulness. Thanks be to God. Amen.